You're listening to a Sunday sermon from Seven Mile Road Church in Melrose, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. To check out more about us, go to sevenmilemelrose.com. I lived in West Virginia during middle and high school. And one of my friends, she lived at the top of this mountain. And so we would drive like the 20 minutes up to her house occasionally just to spend time with her and her family. And when it gets dark in the mountains, it gets real dark. There was no street lights on the mountain. And I just remember this one time very vividly. I was driving me and my brother home and coming back down the mountain. And I slowed down almost a complete stop. And then I turned the headlights off and the lights on the inside of the car. And we couldn't see anything. It was very disorienting. Now, trying to drive down a mountain when you don't have the headlights on or any lights on and no street lights is really, really dumb. So I didn't do that. You don't know when to turn. You don't know if you're going to veer off and go down the side of the hill. So I turned the lights back on, obviously. But I never forgot how like disorienting and how scary that was. We need headlights in the dark. So I don't know if you've ever done that. But I bet you've been in a situation where it was dark and you wish that the lights would come back on. Maybe in your bedroom and it's dark and you're waiting for the sun to come up and it's scary. Or a storm kicked out all the power and then you can't find the flashlight or a candle. And then minutes seem to take hours and you're scared and then your imagination turns shadows into monsters or animals. Do you remember how glad you are when you found the light? How much of a sigh of relief when the gloominess of being stuck in the dark disappeared, whether because the sun came up or because you found that flashlight. In Psalm 119, the psalmist tells us that God's word is like that, that it's like the sun or a flashlight that guides us in the path of our life and through the darkness and the disorientation. So in today's passage, we're going to see the people of Israel are living in the dark. The word of the God The word of God to them, it was rare. And then God's word is going to appear through Samuel, the way that the sun rises. Hopefully, we're all going to hear and believe that God's word is what we need to lead us, to guide us. So I'm going to pray that we would learn to live by and to seek out and to crave God's word as a light that guides us through the darkness and disorientation of our life. Then we're going to jump into 1 Samuel 3. Father, thank you for your word, your prophetic word, which guides us, which gives us light in the darkness. Thank you for Jesus, who is our light. I ask that you would help us to hear and receive your word this morning, that you would call to us, that we would receive it, that we would love your word, that we would choose to live our life by the light of your word. Amen. All right, quick recap to this point in the book. Samuel's mother, whose name is Hannah, she prayed and God gave her a son. His name is Samuel. And she promised to dedicate him for his whole life to serve the Lord. And so he was given over to Eli to be raised in the temple, to serve the Lord in the tabernacle. And we also hear that Eli has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And Eli and his sons are condemned by a prophet who comes and gives this word because they've been taking God's worship in the temple and using it as a means to satisfy their own cravings taking honor and glory away from the Lord. And in the midst of that darkness, Samuel is growing up. So let's pick up 
the word of God in uh, Samuel 3.1. The words will be up here on the screen as well. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So we see Samuel is learning how to be a priest from Eli. He's ministering in the presence of Eli. So we don't know Samuel's age. It's safe to say he's not fully a man yet, but he's old enough to be responsible for some temple duties. We can call it 12, 13, 14, 15. You pick one. Eli is the spiritual leader of Israel as priest. He's also the civic leader as judge. His eyesight is going. So Israel's at this time receiving no prophetic vision, and their main leader is going blind. He's having trouble perceiving reality around him. And this is also descriptive of his leadership. He's nearly blind. His sons are defiling temple worship. They're treating women like cult prostitutes, and they're scandalizing Israel. And yet Eli doesn't see it himself. He has to be told of their actions from others. So this shows us something, that proximity to God, proximity to his worship, even leading worship for God's people, it doesn't mean that we know the Lord. And nor does it mean that that person has the ability to perceive and know what God is doing in the world. So in contrast to Eli, we see Samuel. He's sleeping in the temple. The lamp of God it's almost being extinguished. This points to, it's close to dawn, where the light comes up and chases away the dark for us. The Ark of the Covenant, this is the Lord's covenant meeting place with his people. And so, don't miss this. Subtly, in this passage, nearness to God's presence is being associated with Samuel. And we see the Lord's prophetic word was rare. The Lord speaking through a prophet to his people was really infrequent. And this word for rare that's used in the Old Testament multiple times is used in other places to describe something of immense, life-transforming value, having wisdom, or having precious jewels, or having God's covenant love. And here we see that God's word is speaking to his people. It was rare. And even though it's life-transforming, it was absent. It shows us some things, too. Like, we don't need good or clever ideas. We need God. We need his presence and his word. We crave it. In a famine, people crave food and water. Humans crave the prophetic word of God. We need it regularly. We're made to live by the light of it. And God's word, through his prophets, speaks the truth to us about who God is, what he's really like and what he's doing, who we are, and what we're called to be doing in our life. In the middle of all these disorienting, in competing options, God's word gives us what is true. It's like headlights leading us on the right path in the dark. And without the scriptures, we're left running from one good-sounding idea to another good-sounding idea, while being nearly blind. What you need, what I need, is the sure word of God, the certain word of the eternal and unchanging God. And yet, in this passage, God was not providing this during Eli's leadership. No prophetic vision was happening. There's this other pattern we see with God over and over and over again. 
that God spoke to the prophets for the good of his people and the glory of his name. So God speaks through someone he chooses to give his word to his people, and it's for their good, and it's also for the glory of God's name. But it's not happening in Israel. And there's an even more underlying dynamic thing that's happening in the language of the the last verse I read. Another way to translate, there was no frequent vision, is no prophetic vision was bursting in. The word that's translated there was, and it's a fine translation, in other places it's used to describe a baby coming through the womb or an army breaking through the walls during a siege. It's not a gentle, quiet image. It's a dynamic situation-transforming, powerful event. And when we don't have the prophetic vision of God, Scripture tells us and shows us that we break out in evil and idolatry and immorality and violence because our souls are restless and needy and hungry. We reach out for something, anything that provides us with meaning and significance and purpose. Our relationship with food is often a helpful analogy to the way we relate to God. We need food to survive, but the healthier food we eat, the better our bodies tend to function. Similarly, our souls need purpose and meaning, significance, to truly live as people. We don't just need food. But not every source of purpose and meaning and significance is good for us and is good for others. The Word of God reveals to us the best food for any human for us, is to live on the presence of God and the word of God. So don't miss this. We need the very words of God crashing into our souls over and over, more than we need words from anyone or anything else, more than we need food. This is why we preach from the scriptures every single week, so that God, by his spirit, might press his prophetic word into our hearts that are needy, like a regular meal. Without this in our life, we're left nearly blind like Eli. So let's go back in the text. Let's see what happens when God's word actually breaks in. So we're going to pick up in verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. He said, here I am. Ran to Eli. He said, here I am. You called me. He said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. If he calls you again, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Okay, so the Lord shouts for Samuel three times. And Samuel says, here I am. And he gets up and he runs to Eli. Because he assumes he must be the one shouting for him. Samuel is also described here with the same description as Eli's sons. He doesn't know the Lord. Will Will his priesthood be any different? The only difference is that The word yet is included in describing Samuel. He didn't yet know the Lord. And then another one, the word of the Lord hadn't yet been revealed to him. So far, we've heard that Samuel's ministering to the Lord. Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. This is in chapter 2. 
and that he continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Yet even with all that, Samuel doesn't yet know the Lord. Maybe that's you this morning. You've been around the church for a while. You can explain things about Christian doctrine. Maybe you can even contend. Maybe you've argued with people for the truth of the faith, but your heart isn't alive to God. You don't yet know the Lord. So if that's you, maybe you're starting to question or realize that right now. Do you believe in Jesus? Don't let anything hold you back this morning from taking that step of faith. Know the Lord. In the passage, even though Samuel doesn't know the Lord, here's the hope for all of us. God chose to reveal himself to Samuel through his word. Now for Samuel, he does this uniquely. He chooses Samuel for a special role in the story of Israel. Samuel's going to be this bridge between these regional judges and a united kingdom, 12 tribes under one king. His life and ministry, we're going to see, is going to function like a hinge in God's mission from one part of the story to the next. It really doesn't seem to be a live possibility in his mind that the God of the covenant is going to talk to him. But Eli, on the other hand, He's been a priest for a long time. He's the one who should have the spiritual awareness to know what's happening. But he's blind. He's living in the dark. Anyone should be attuned to the possibility that this would happen. Shouldn't it be the priest? So finally, the third time, and we can give Eli some credit. At the second time, this teenager wakes up in the middle of the night. This is incredible restraint. He says, my son. Like, that's really nice. But the third time, this nearly, nearly blind priest finally sees. He has the insight. The Lord God is calling Samuel. Eli tells Samuel to view and posture himself as a slave or a servant to the Lord. Whatever he tells you to do, Samuel, you're going to execute it. Whatever message he has given, you have to deliver it faithfully and fully. Become the Lord's servant is a way to paraphrase what he's telling him. All right, so equipped from Eli with how to respond, this is what happens. Going, starting in verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him, that I am about to punish this house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So we see the Samuel responds like he's told. He says, I am your servant. The Lord has a message to give to Eli, but he's not giving it straight to Eli. Did you notice that? He's giving the message to Samuel, which means Samuel is responsible to deliver that. This message of doom to Eli, that Eli's family, they're all going to be judged. These are really hard words. And I'm not going to touch on or explain most of them because the last two Sundays we've actually been doing that. But just to summarize, the Lord's judgment of Eli and his sons, their unfaithfulness is not going to be a private event. It's going to be public the way their sins against God have been done publicly. 
Right back in the text, 15. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel, said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now he's now choosing to speak directly through Samuel. This creates a distance between the priest, Eli, and the Lord. Eli is supposed to bridge the gap between the people and God as the priest. Now Samuel is bridging the gap between the Lord and Eli. The Lord's elevated Samuel by giving him this message to give to Eli. So when the morning light comes, Samuel opens the doors of the temple. And nobody knows this boy is now the prophet of the Lord. In his heart and mind are the words of God that he is to speak into the darkness of Eli and his family. And Samuel delivers the message. But not at first. Eli calls him first because Samuel was scared. Just imagine you're a teenager. If you're a teenager in here, that'll be easy for you. Just imagine this teenager has been entrusted with a divine word of judgment to give to the highest ranking civic official in his country. Israel's judge and priest. Who also was like a father figure to him. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. The moment is pregnant as we read. Will Samuel be a faithful prophet of God? And he is. Yes, Samuel delivers the message. He doesn't leave anything out. He tells him everything. This is what a faithful leader of God's people does. Gives the full truth of God's word. Doesn't leave things out. Even if he's scared of the potential consequences. This is what you should expect from the elders of this church. This is what anybody who preaches, whether it's a pastor or a potential elder, is accountable to Jesus to do, to give you, Jesus' church, his bride, the fullness of God's word, to feed you. So you're equipped with the sustaining words of God, not shrinking back from anything that God's word clearly says, for the good of his people and the glory of God. This is what you can hold, hold people like me and other people who preach accountable to do. To serve you, to serve God. We see Samuel courageously delivers this address, this message, the fullness of it to Eli. And then Eli just seems resigned to receive this judgment from the Lord. So don't miss the justice of God here. Eli was blind or nearly blind. He wouldn't restrain his sons from doing what was good in their eyes. Now the Lord's going to do what's good in his eyes. And he's going to restrain Eli's family forever. Let's finish the passage. Pick up in verse 19. Here's what happens after Samuel faithfully gives his first message. And Samuel grew. And the Lord is with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord... Again appeared at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So God was uniquely with Samuel. And he, when Samuel spoke God's words, those things happened, which validates Samuel before God's people as God's prophet. 
He grows as the Lord is with him. He grows because the Lord is with him. From the far north to the far south of the country, all Israel knew that their God was with them because Samuel was speaking God's prophetic words to them. So now we're actually seeing a reversal of what happened at the very beginning of this passage. Previously, the word of the Lord was rare. Now with Samuel, the word of the Lord is known and is present, which is good for God's people, and it's good for the glory of God. It's good for Israel, and it's great for the honor of the Lord. Samuel's words to Israel become synonymous with the Lord's words. The Lord speaks to Samuel, Samuel speaks to Israel. The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Samuel functions for God as his prophet. And prophets like Samuel prepare the way for a prophet named Jesus who's coming, who will be even more tightly connected with the person and character of God. Because Jesus is the final word of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, like Samuel. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Which means that all the prophets of God, like Samuel, are preparing us to listen to Jesus. Jesus' words are God's words. Because Jesus is God. He is the word of God. We're to listen to him, to follow him, to feed our souls on him by faith. To live dependent on him in every area of our life by his words and his example. We're to remember. That's why we do this preaching thing. To remember, to live freed by his death and resurrection live sustained by his life. So are you listening to Jesus? Are we listening to the word of God, Jesus? He is the light of the world. Whoever follows his light won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, the light of life that we all crave and need. So as we close, let's ask ourselves a couple questions. Often in our lives, we feel like You might be driving down a mountain with no headlights. We don't know where we're going. You ever feel like that? Disoriented. Maybe you don't know which way is best. Are we even still on the road? Am I about to veer off and go down the hill? Sometimes our life is like that because of our sin and because we don't yet know Jesus. That might be you today. Do you believe and know Jesus as your light? But sometimes it's just the reality of being a human. We can't know the future, and that's scary. It's like our whole life is driving into the unknown, where one bad decision we feel like could destroy everything. But the word of God is our light. Jesus is our light. So here's some questions to help us. Are you living by the light of the word of God? Is your life life marked by living by the light of God? How do you listen when the word of God is preached or taught? How are you paying attention? Are you listening in order to treasure it? Or like a meal, to chew it, meditate on it, take it away to be sustained and guided by it? Same question, I'm just going to use a different metaphor. Are the scriptures your home? Are they a nice place to visit? Are they your home? Are they a nice place that you visit? Charles Spurgeon has this really helpful quote. I have it up in my office as a reminder. He said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Are there scriptures your home or a nice place to visit? Do you live in them or are you a visitor? We could expand Spurgeon's advice. 
Visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Visit many good TV shows, but live in the Bible. Visit many funny YouTube videos, but live in the Bible. Visit many academic works and words of friends and experts, but live in the Bible. The Word of God is like our home. It's really nice to visit other places. Always need to come back to where we live. So do you live, if you're a Christian especially, do you live by the light of Jesus and his scriptures? Visit many good things, church, but live in the Bible. Israel needed God's word to be able to see in the darkness. And so do we. God has given us his word through the prophets for our good, for his glory. This Bible that we have is so that we might read it and live by it for our good, for the good of those around us, and for God's glory. So let's be a family who does that, who daily and weekly, as we grow, live daily by the light of Jesus, the prophetic word of God. Let's do that together, not just for our good and not just for the good of our neighbors, but also for the glory of God.